0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com or WST, as we call it for short. Because Americans like acronyms, or what do they call those initialisms? Is that is that technically more accurate? An acronym. Makes a word that you can actually pronounce, but initialisms or things like WST or something like that. Or is it the other way around? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're here. WorldSoccerTalk.com slash live on a Wednesday to talk soccer with you, the committed soccer fan. On today's program, Charlie Bohm from MLSSoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, USSoccerPlayers.com, the uh, the Twitter sphere at CBOEHM. He'll join us in a couple of minutes. Charlie's got a fascinating piece on the U.S. women's national team as they head into the quarterfinals at the World Cup in Canada. This is over at Soccer Wire. Don't go read it now, but as soon as I'm done talking to Charlie, go read it immediately because you're going to want to check it out. Charlie dropped on uh, Twitter not too long ago that he's heard some rumblings about unhappiness behind the scenes at the US women's national team camp and uh, he outlined some of those rumblings in said story there is the issue of covering for Megan Rapino and Lauren Holiday on Friday against China there's the issue of Abby Wambach and her comments about the referee which she then walked back that leads me directly into the news let's start with the women's world cup Japan taking down the Netherlands 2-1 yesterday to book their place in the quarterfinals where they will play Australia, the Japanese looked fantastic against the Dutch. The Dutch had, had their moments, a very young team, the Netherlands. They didn't exactly put it together. It wasn't cohesive, but you could see what the Dutch are working with, and I would uh, I would advise everyone to be looking out for them over the next couple of years in the women's game. But as for the, chi- as for the Japanese, this is what they do. They control the ball. They are technically adept. They created the best team goal we've seen in this tournament. One of the best team goals you might see anywhere in a month or uh, or two or three or this year. A fantastic uh, goal that included a backheel, a dummy, and a, a fantastic left-footed shot that curled into the net for the Japanese. So they move on. Uh, they also had on the other end... A goalkeeping howler that will stand the test of time. Luckily, they didn't lose that match or draw that match because of that howler, or they they couldn't have drawn it, but they didn't have to go into extra time because of it. Uh, The the time ran out on the Dutch, but they did get one back because the Japanese keeper flat out missed the ball. And, you know, I I gotta be careful here about slander, but that looked weird. I'll just say that all I'll say is that looked weird. At the end of that game, With the result pretty much in the bag for the Japanese to have them give up a goal that way. Very, looked very, very weird. The aforementioned Abby Wambach walked back her comments about the referee in the Columbia match. If you recall, in the aftermath of that match, Abby suggested that perhaps the referee knew who was on a yellow for the United States women's national team and handed out yellow cards specifically to those players. She did apologize for those remarks. I'm not in the referee's head, and that's something I definitely take ownership of and apologize for because I don't know what the referee is thinking, said Wambach. In no way did I intend to offend her, and my biggest apologies if it was offensive in any way. So that's uh, perhaps covering uh, in, in light of uh, to- a talk that maybe Wombach deserved a suspension for criticizing the referees. I know certain parties up in Canada have called for her to be suspended anyway despite the uh, apology. Jürgen Klinsmann has named his 23-man Gold Cup roster. This is a roster heavy on experience. Klinsmann says this is his best team, his strongest team at this point in time. Notable absences from this 23-man roster include Juan Agudelo, Demarcus Beasley, who was added to that provisional roster despite the fact he had to come out of retirement to be to do it. Uh, Matt Beasler, not on this roster, started every game of the World Cup last year and did not make the cut at center back. Just briefly, your goalkeepers, Guzan, Ramondo, William Yarborough. Uh, defenders, Ventura Alvarado, John Brooks, Timmy Chandler, Brad Evans, Omar Gonzalez, Fabian Johnson, Tim Ream. No Breck Shea at left back. No Breck Shea, period. Midfielders, Beckerman, Bedoya, Bradley, Davis. Brad Davis, a bit of a surprise there, perhaps. Mixed disc Alfredo Morales, DeAndre Yedlin listed as a midfielder. Giassi Zardes, and Graham Zusi who makes it despite... Not really featuring much for the national team over the past uh, six to eight months. And not looking great when he played for Sporting Kansas City until very recently. Josie Outdoor, Clint Dempsey, Aaron Johansson, and Chris Wondolowski are your strikers. Wondolowski making the roster as well. Uh, We will do a full breakdown of that 23-man roster at some point on Soccer Morning either today, tomorrow. Definitely over at SiriusXMFC, so check that out. If you do have a subscription, uh, in addition to naming this roster, Klinsmann downplayed Clint Dempsey's outburst in the Open Cup last week, saying that these things happened. It very much sounds like he doesn't intend to take the captain's armband off the Seattle Sounder striker. Happy birthday to Lionel Messi, who turned 28 today. All time great player, fantastic. I don't have his stats in front of me, but you know they're all insane. Liverpool has secured the transfer of Roberto Firmino, Brazilian striker from Hoffenheim, for twenty-five, twenty-nine million pounds. Excuse me. Here's a bit of interesting news, and if you're an American fan and uh, are no fan of L3, perhaps there's some schadenfreude here. Miguel Herrera says that Chicharito Hernandez could have played at the Copa America, where Mexico earned two points and did not make it out of the group uh, group stage, except they didn't know who to call. They didn't know which... They did We didn't know who to talk to in order to ask for Chicharito to play. Said Herrera. Okay. I mean, I know the man's status is a little odd. He went on loan to Real Madrid. He's technically a Manchester United player, but come on, that's two That's two two clubs you can call. Just call them up. Say, hey, hey, what's the deal? Hey, we we like to we like to have chit That'd be that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, seven games in MLS tonight as MLS kicks off Rivalry Week. Not all of these games are rivalry games, of course. Philadelphia hosting Seattle at seven o'clock. New York RSL at seven thirty. Columbus, New England at 7.30. Orlando, Colorado at 7.30. Toronto hosting Montreal, certainly a rivalry game there at 8 o'clock. Chicago hosting D.C. United at 8.30. And the L.A. Galaxy hosting the Portland Timbers at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Will I make it up for that? Find out tomorrow. Let's take a break. When we come back, Charlie Bohm from MLSsoccer.com and Soccer Wire and U.S. soccer players will join us. We'll talk about the U.S. women's national team and maybe some Gold Cup roster as well. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back.
0: Too loud.
2: You
1: the best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, And Alexi Sanchez is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria, and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com slash soccer. Again, that's sling.com slash soccer. This Friday, the USA faces China in the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup, and I'd like to invite you to join me for a very special audio broadcast that I'll be hosting on Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on television, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. You can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section, Plus, I'll be talking you through the game as we watch the U.S. play China in a repeat of that epic 1999 Women's World Cup final. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble.tv app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app on Friday. Does the USA have what it takes to make it to the semifinals of the Women's World Cup? Find out this Friday, June 26th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern. And cheer on the red, white, and blue with me on Rabble.tv.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: We are back on Soccer Morning talking about the U.S. women's national team at the World Cup with our friend Charlie Baum. If we get into some men's topics, I. Hope we get into some, men's, into some men's topics with the Gold Cup roster out, but let's start with uh, the the biggest uh, stories of the day with the U.S. women. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Jason. How's it going? It's going well. Um, it's going, I, I feel as though it's going better for me than it is for the U.S. women's national team, despite the fact they have now booked <laughs> their place for the quarterfinals uh, against China on Friday. And the reason I say that is because I just read this fascinating piece over at soccerwire.com. Uh, written by, by you, as a matter of fact, that outlined some of the questions swirling around this team. Uh, Where to start? I, I know that, that you very clearly state that a lot of what you've heard so far is hearsay, and yet it would surprise no one to, to learn that there is some tension in the U.S. camp right at this moment.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, and, and we should also say that these are problems that that it, almost every women's program on earth would would love to have. I mean, this is uh it, it's so diametrically different from the men's program in that there's uh, enormous pressure on this team to win, not only to win but to be role models, to be um to win with style and 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 certainly we have high expectations for them uh, given uh you know the criticism that's been leveled that they're obviously getting the results of the World Cup uh, they are uh, in the quarterfinals and the favor- favored to reach the semifinals. But all that being said, I think anyone who's been paying close attention to them on the field and the, you know, the quality of the play, um, the nature of their play recognizes that this team is, is not uh, adding up to, to anything more than the sum of its parts, if that, and they're, they're not fulfilling their potential. So um, I certainly want to be clear that. I recognize that that they're getting the job done right now, and, and as long as they continue to get the job done, it's you know they deserve credit for that. But the problem is that the real tests are still ahead and um, and it's definitely concerning to see um, you know the degree of preparation maybe that they have or don't have for those big tests that we see coming up with France or Germany.
1: This is a team that rather than advancing, feeling good about that, preparing for the next game, looking ahead to the next game uh and, and certainly look even if they had flaws uh, they do have flaws but even if they had uh you know in in a, in a better situation have flaws and, and and we were analyzing those flaws and comparing them against their next competition or wondering if they're capable of beating the favorites this is a sense of impending doom that looms over this this team that that I find fascinating as it also worries me
3: yeah i mean i think i think us fans have reason to be concerned and, and, and there's a real split, I think, among fans in terms of the, the, uh, you know, they're obviously getting enormous ratings. They're getting close to double, in some cases, more than double the ratings that they got in the last World Cup. Um, they are enormously popular, enormously successful on a commercial level. Um, so there's, ca- there's casual fans that, that watch this the way they do the Olympics every, uh, three or four years where there's, uh you know they want to see their team, they want to feel patriotic they want to to see Americans succeed and and do well and uh and then there's the soccer folks, you know, and we have to remind ourselves we're in a little bit of a bubble here, but soccer folks who are watching year round uh every year um recognize that there's there's more that could be uh shown from this team and from this program in in general so um uh, an important difference there, important to remember that not everybody is quite as discerning and, and demanding. Uh, but you know for me that this all comes back to um you know the goal here is to is to win the women's world cup trophy uh, are they on course for that on paper yes but in terms of the performances i think there's a lot uh left uh, in this team and i certainly hope um on you know that that they can sort of maximize that potential a little bit better cuz i think they're going to have to
1: that uh, brings us now to Jill Ellis okay so not only do we have the mini-controversy swirling because Michelle Akers went on the radio and said, why is Jill Ellis our coach if she's happy with the way we're playing right now after beating Columbia 2 nothing and impressing no one? Uh, now we have word, and through your piece and, and through um, some of those sources there that you've mined, that uh, morale is low and that no one really believes in the tactics that that Jill Ellis is, is utilizing. And yet, uh, my question then is, okay, this is the coach... Maybe not the coach that you wanted, but this is the coach you ended up with because of what we know was a pretty significant power play surrounding Tom Sermanni last year. So I, yeah. I, I don't really get this dynamic. You, 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 you know, you sort of, you know, don't be careful what you ask for. Essentially.
3: <laughs> well, it's also hearsay that you know. To, to and I, and I wrote about this at the time. Um, the circumstances behind Tom Sermanni's dismissal are are very murky. Are very hard to understand and and maybe we'll never quite get to the bottom of it and uh Sermani himself who's now with the canadian national team staff has been very classy in terms of um you know not really dishing and not really pointing too many fingers uh, but it seems pretty clear that that uh y- you know there was a move towards conservatism i think that's maybe the most general way to phrase it um there was concern about about results there was concern about the timeline leading up to this world cup which obviously is a must win tournament from the perspective of the players, the, the, the federation, the, the program, um, Ellis was the safe pair of hands, right? Ellis was the, um, the longtime veteran. She was an assistant to PSU and Sundaja. She had been in the World Cup environment before and in big tournaments before as an assistant. She's been involved on the technical side for many years as a, effectively a technical director working with April Heinrichs to, to develop the, the youth national team program, the player identification and selection programs. So she w- and she had coached many of these kids as as youth national teamers. So the thought was that she would be the the easiest one to step in. She had already been in the inter- interim role. I think the issue is is she proving to the entire squad on a day to day basis that she's got the chops that she's got the ideas um, for them to execute for them to maximize their their potential. And it's certainly I, I'm not want to not going to say that everybody's given up or anything like that. There's these are professionals. These players are going to go out and and do what's asked of them to the best they can, regardless of the circumstances. But it does seem pretty clear that there's some frustration with the tactics. There's some some um, um, some issues among the, the squad, and we'll probably never hear about this, uh, you know, in, in public on the record from most or all of them. But I think you can see when you watch the team perform, the roles aren't necessarily clear. Uh, the patterns of play are, are scant and non-existent in terms of anything beyond that sort of direct. Um, Uh, Cross-oriented, Abby Wambach central style that we've seen so far, and and, you know, for all we know, that may actually get them to the trophy. It's been very effective, and it and it can be very effective at times. I think for me, the question is, how many other arrows do you have in the quiver? What else are you going to do if that doesn't work?
1: Mm. Let me come to a specific passage uh, in your piece that I think maybe a lot of fans don't realize that this is a factor. Um, You know, we we talk about the uh, the situation around. Sermani's firing and as you said a lot of that is murky and we don't know for sure and Sermani has handled it uh, very well in a very classy manner but this this is uh, this is somewhat undeniable this part at least for the, the preponderance of evidence that this plays a role in how this team runs a strong collective bargaining agreement between the players and the U.S. Soccer Federation limits the coaching staff's latitude to drop established players and call up new ones breeding entitlement in some quarters when people look at this team Charlie and they go Wow, this is an old team. Look at all the veterans here. I I get some of the experience needs to be there, but where's our our next generation? This feeds into that,
3: certainly. And and we see, you know, you're mentioning the men's side, and if we get to talk about gold cup, you can see, you know, Jurgen Klinsman can effectively go into a large player pool at any given time for any given uh, roster call up and pick whatever he wants. He can go with kids, um, he can go with veterans, he can get the mix. Um, the player pool is, is pretty deep if you look at the overall number of American-eligible uh, women's professional players, and there's a league that was formed by this federation specifically uh, to create that pool and give that pool uh, a competitive environment. Um, but the, beyond the bargaining agreement, which I, and I don't want to suggest that I'm uh, critical of a bargaining agreement, the CBA is crucial for for any group of workers, and, and in, in this case, these are uh, you know, very successful players, very marketable players. Um, and so they deserve a cba i don't know the specifics of the cba at this time but it certainly seems as though um, it rewards seniority uh, it recognizes that there are certain personalities that that fans want to see that are wrapped up in the identity of this team and this is uh this dates back all the way to the 99ers you know the 99 world cup winning team was enormously popular uh revered and and so people weren't just coming out to watch their national team they were coming out to watch the the star players the the women that had brought home the, the the world championship trophy and so that that is sort of the legacy here is that is is that the the fans that pay the big bucks uh, for the jerseys for the matches the friendlies uh, they're they're not just supporting their team right they want to see certain stars and so the the, the federation has had to get that balance between you know dynamism comp- competition on the roster. Um, and giving fans what they want and, and keeping that core of that team that was so successful. So I think we can all make our own personal judgments as to where that balance stands at the moment. Yeah. But it certainly does seem clear that the CBA um, uh, keeps a, a certain degree of roster stability uh, that, that maybe doesn't allow the coach to have, I'll just say, not 100% freedom uh, in who he or she selects.
1: Well, at the very least... Even if the bargaining agreement wasn't in play and and maintaining some official status and or some official pull over player selection, you can certainly argue that there are personalities and and it, and and profiles and uh, uh, you know, there, there are there are women on this team who are bigger than Jill Ellis and and that makes it difficult for her to drop somebody again. That the as you said, the fans want to see that the federation wants to push forward as uh, as as. As as players that can be marketed and also sell the sport, but also it's a it's a very complicated situation. I'm I'm trying I'm being careful here because I don't want to I don't want to come down on anybody. Certainly a a CBA as negotiated uh, negotiated by the players, you know they should do the best they can because their careers are short. They should have the opportunity to maximize whatever return they can on on the effort and the work that they put in. But at the same time, it's important to
3: note too, Jason, that that what's very different from the men's side is that. Men's players are paid first and foremost by their clubs. They receive compensation from the national True. teams that yes. they're called up to. Yes, but it's it's considered sort of a bonus on top of your your club wages. He, in the women's side, we're, in NWSL um, and in most of Europe, we're looking at really um, minimum wage level salaries, six month contracts in many cases for professional players, uh, barely enough for them to get by on. They're they're all all going to have to augment their salaries. Uh, with coaching, with other opportunities with other jobs. now, once you get called up to the women's team and if you become a regular uh, call up to the women's national team, um, you are given a salary effectively, you' become a full-time employee of the national of the right. the federation. and that's a six figure salary. And then if you can uh, develop uh, uh, marketing opportunities and promotional stuff over and above that, you can you can nudge it well up towards uh, seven figures. I mean, um, we have it's been widely reported. Abby uh, Wambach. I'm not sure if she's up to seven figures. I would guess she is. Alex Morgan is making seven figures total in terms of endorsements plus mm-hmm. salary. Mm-hmm. So that's a totally different lifestyle. It's a totally different way of life from uh, a, a rank and file NWSL player. So once you get up, I mean, that's 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 one of the, the that's sort of the biggest uh, pinnacle you can reach uh, in, in the women's professional world. And once you get up there, uh, it's, very, it's, it's very difficult to contemplate going back down.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know if I want to turn this rock over necessarily, Charlie, and open up this discussion. But when those other concerns are pressing in on you and, and you're, as a player, you're, because, because, again, because you should be maximizing whatever you can get out of your career. I, I don't begrudge anybody the right to make as much money as they possibly can during an athletic career that could end at any moment. But those other pressures can impact your your professional career you know i'm again I'm trying to be careful because i don't I don't know that anybody uh, on this particular team is suffering from a lack of concentration because they've got a a deal with the snack food company, but those things absolutely have to be considered, and it is as you said it's a very strange sort of existence for the women who can be marketed and who are featured with the national team and therefore become entrenched et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I had another question in mind uh, along this, this line, but I guess what the bottom line for us here is, is whether or not they can overcome some of these things in this particular mm-hmm. tournament, whatever the distractions are behind the scenes, whether they believe in Jill Ellis co- tactics or not, whether morale is low or not, and then moving forward, and, and maybe we should do this after the tournament, after they actually lose a the game. They haven't done that yet. Um, maybe, you know, then we can discuss what, what this, what the federation needs to do to move forward. Because now you just wonder if the, if, if the, if all of those changes that people want to see with this team are almost, that are, they become very, very difficult with all of, uh, with, with all of the encumbrances placed on, um, a, a unit that is as much marketing tool as soccer team. And it's important
3: to note too that the the women's national team um, funds so many other programs. Um, it's not you know Sunil Galati has been uh, one of the, probably the biggest legacy I think uh, at this point. If we look at his his tenure as president of the federation, he has brought a, a level of financial savvy that that simply has transformed the federation on both sides, but in particularly in the women's side of things, the women's national team matches. You know those sort of we. we a soccer geek sort of um, roll our eyes at the the one sided friendly results, right? That that they uh, they schedule you know, many friendlies. I'm sure if they win the World Cup, there'll be a victory tour. Um, th- that may look a little silly uh, to a hardcore soccer person, but that's enormous revenue that, that gets to get, to be channeled into all levels of the program. That's funding youth national teams. That's funding player identification. That's funding, uh, you know, grow, growth of the scouting network and the, uh, and the coaching infrastructure. So there's really, there's important stuff that comes from the celebrity of the women's national team. And without that, you're looking at a much more bare bones sort of program. Um, and you can just look at the com- competition. Most of the, the women's world cup teams are, are, are working off a shoestring, off whatever their federation, you know, deems them worthy of getting. There's very few that, that look at, at their women's program as a legitimate, Uh, professional setup on on par with their men right so I think in some ways the women's the U.S. women's team is is a role model for the rest of women's soccer Um, the question is just you know navigating those details and finding that perfect balance and it's it's a tough job and I I don't uh, envy (laughs) uh, Jill Ellis Sunil Gulati and that whole staff trying to find that balance
1: all right let me let me come let me go to briefly before we move on to the men and talk about the gold cup roster Charlie let's Let's just consider uh, Friday, because it, as much as it's about China, it's, it's also about those two absences that the United States has. Uh, Megan Rapinoe, Lauren Holiday, both ruled out through their yellow card accumulation. So where does Jill Ellis turn? A lot of talk about a 4-3-3 being the, the, the appropriate formation, and yet I don't think anybody expects her to do that.
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you could see, I thought that their their system against Sweden was almost a 4-3-3 in many ways, because with, with Rapino. Uh, when you have a Megan Rapino on your squad, she's sort of a, um, a free radical, I call her. She, she has a, a lot of license, as she should, given her skill set, to roam, to float into dangerous spaces. Um, you know, if anything, you know, the, the structure comes true in terms of the, the defensive responsibilities. Maybe she has to drop back to one wing or another when they're defending. But without that, um, you know, it, there's not a lot of, of role players who've gotten minutes in the run up to this tournament who could necessarily step in and make a 433 work. Ellis has definitely experimented with it. I just don't know if she's going to be comfortable enough giving that new assignment, you know, with two or three days training at this stage of things and and changing up what's working because I think any 433 requires you to uh, t- to pull Julie Johnston out of center back and into a defensive midfield role. Uh, given that from what we understand, although there's been no announcement, apparently Shannon Box is hurt mm-hmm. even coming into it to this tournament at full health. Uh, she was not expected to be a 90 minute player. Lori Chalepney can play a holding midfield role, but has effectively been, um, you know, designated as a backup left back. She herself told me that she had get, not gotten many reps uh, in midfield. So, um, so I think we're going to see Morgan Bryan come on, uh, in for Lauren holiday. Um, and then the question is who replaces Rapino? Well, you really can't replace Rapino. No one has the mentality and the, the dynamism that she has. I think Heather O'Reilly would be a natural replacement, but it's unclear as to whether she has Ellis's trust. She's hardly played at all. Um, I don't know if we'll see her. The fans are obviously clamoring. There's a hashtag going around, free How, free Heather O'Reilly. Um, maybe that'll be the move, but I, I think it's more likely that we'll see Press come into a, a wide midfield role and then Morgan and, and Wambach stay up top. Can that work? It certainly can, but we haven't seen a lot uh from this this collection yet i mean they didn't really impress against sweden although i think it's a really small sample size so we'll have to wait and see but i'm i'm certainly hoping that morgan bryan uh gets the opportunity and takes it because she's a she's a special player she's one of the youngest players in this roster but i think she can definitely do the business she's the future of this program so uh, one to watch there and something to track, certainly, when they take the field. On You're Friday.
1: asking me to trust somebody with two first names. Now, I know Brian is not a, a woman's <laughs> name traditionally. Or is Charlie, it two last names? It could be two last names. I suppose that, 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 that's a way to look at it. Okay, that's how I'm going to mollify myself. Let's move <laughs> on and talk about the men here before I have to, 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 uh, to move on to MLS topics. Uh, we've got Kevin Kincaid lined up. Uh, just after Charlie here. So let's do the the Gold Cup roster. Jurgen Klinsman announces the 23 man roster, whittled down from that 35 man provisional roster. A couple of moderate surprises. Ultimately, the way says Charlie is that this is an experienced team, and I guess he trusts this team. This is his strongest team to go win a tournament right now. No more experimentation. Where where mm. are the things that stand out for you? Because uh, I think for a lot of people. Uh the lack, the absence of of Matt Beisler is probably one of the biggest uh, the biggest things. And then there's a couple of names included that are a little surprising. Yeah, it's
3: it's the, the center back position is very interesting because uh, under the this the system that Jurgen Klinsmann talks about the proactive possession oriented uh, pass happy system that he's been sort of laying out as the vision for the future. You need ball playing center backs there. You need uh, central defenders who can get the ball down. Who don't, aren't just winning. He- Headers in defending. They're getting the ball down on the floor and starting the attack. They're connecting well with the midfield. And it's not clear that, that that's necessarily what he's prioritized in his selection of center backs. Ventura Alvarado is, you know, maybe the American uh, playing at, high, at the highest level in the world right now, considering he's a, a regular starter for uh, one of Mexico's most dominant clubs. That being said, I, I don't think we've seen his best or anywhere near his best in a national team uniform. So a lot is going to be expected of him, I think. He's the kind of player that can do that. He can pass out of the back, but he hasn't really shown it yet. Will his center back partner be Omar Gonzalez? You know, will it be one of these other guys? I mean, I'm a little surprised not to see Beezer, but, and we can ask any number of questions about whether there's still friction left over from the World Cup fitness gate. Is he simply not seen to be in form at the moment? Um, he had probably one of the longest and deepest troughs in his form after the World Cup, yeah. he was clearly exhausted last year. You know? so, I, so that's it's a very interesting situation. It's another example of of Klinsman not being entirely coherent in terms of his statements and his ideas from one day or sure. month to the other. But, <laughs> but um,
1: that that's his, the the, the con- most consistent thing about Euron Klinsmann is his inconsistency. Um, <laughs> let's okay, so so Matt Beasler out. Maybe we can find a a, a reason for that. He's got a, he's got a teammate in this team. That I, Graham Zussi made this roster and and i'm I, again I'm not surprised necessarily, Charlie, but he went through a trough of form as well and, and maybe only recently came out of it um Is this just a matter of uh not a lot of options in that particular area or or what what do you account for, for, Z- for Zussi for making this team when uh, when well, did not
3: it's It's interesting because given what we just talked about with Ellis and the women's team uh. You know, we can talk about picking, you know, at any given time, you want to pick the, the best 20 or 23 in-form uh, American-eligible players, but it doesn't really work that like that, right? Because you have, that's a selection, but this is also a team. And so Clinsman and Ellis, they're naturally going to gravitate to players they trust, players that they've worked with a lot, uh, regardless of whether maybe there's someone they don't know who's playing better at the club level at that moment. So I think that's what you're seeing in a lot of ways, is Zussi was was out of the picture for a while. He's finally worked his way back in. I'm sure Klinsman feels that he knows him well enough, he knows what he's getting, and he feels that that Zusi has has worked his way back into being deserving of that call up. So you know and, the, and there's the, the width question is is really interesting. I mean, how many out and out you know wing type players are there in this pool? I think he needs to bring at least a couple of them, even if he goes with a you know a narrower formation. He needs sure. to have that option of someone who can float out into wide areas, someone who can deliver set pieces. Who can stretch the field a bit in in terms of the width?
1: No, that's 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 what Gru- what Zusi does. He's not as he's not the most mobile choice necessarily. He does have Yandre Yedlin here listed as a midfielder. I don't read a whole lot into these things, but listed as a midfielder, that indicates that we may see continue to see Yedlin as an option off the bench, late in games, game changing speed type of player.
3: Exactly, and I, you know I should clarify too. Zusi is is a smart player. He can he can do multiple things. Yes, I've seen yes. him play in two or three different spots in sporting cases, uh, for, you know, four, three, three shape, he can float into attacking spots. He can be an, an, uh, an inline to end line type winger, if you need him to track back, and more of a four-four-two. So there's different things that Ducey can do, uh, as compared to say Yedlin, who is a little bit more of an out-and-out burner, who gets his heels on the touchline and and works that way, and can fill in at, at right back for you. I mean, it's it's fascinating to to watch his his situation where uh, he needs minutes at a high level in Europe at, at, as a left back, he or a right back, excuse me. A, he may be a, a loney from from Spurs right now, but it certainly appears that. His his best position in Clinton eyes is a is a an impact winger uh, coming out off the bench and changing the game out wide and from more of an attacking perspective.
1: Uh, a couple of names again that stand out: um, Tim Ream. Any surprise over Tim Ream's inclusion? Well, to
3: me, it's long overdue. I mean, here's someone again who's um, certainly appears to be listening to what Clinton says and and acting on it. He's he's you know built a bit of a name in MLS he earned himself a move to a significant club i would say a high level competition uh overseas and then he's done the business you know he's become a uh a fan favorite he's become a player of the year uh award winner at at Bolton he's he's done everything that you could expect him to do and and for the longest time it was mystifying to me that he wasn't getting more opportunities at the international level so now i think whether or not he's earned the trust enough to to be a a guy getting regular minutes i don't know but uh, and I certainly hope he gets a chance at center back because he's another one of those guys who can do uh, what's needed in the system in terms of getting the ball down and and finding feet uh, with good passes. Uh, but he can also step in at left back. There, I mean, the left back situation is very fascinating to me because some of the most natural left backs and and some of the ones that Klinsman's trusted the most didn't get the call this time around. No, no, uh, think,
1: no, no Garza, and no Shea. That doesn't make any sense to me.
3: Yeah, and, and and we have I think Beasley will certainly be called in. But he hasn't been called in on the initial roster. So, uh, that, that tells you then, does that mean that Jurgen is, um, planning to do something completely different in the knockout rounds than he does in the group stage? Will Beasley just step into the starting lineup? It'd be a little surprising if he, if he calls Beasley away from club duty and then doesn't play him a lot of minutes. So, uh, I, I sense that Jurgen has a plan, uh, but it's, it's far from clear. How it's going to play
1: out? Yeah, and he he has said that this was you know this is the strongest team, et cetera, and so forth. That even with those potential call-ups after the group stage um, looming, I, he's going to say that. I mean that that's a that's a a coach speech mm-hmm. response to that. So I'm not going to look too much into that. Um, I, I will note that while I know he didn't play well in the European trip uh, necessarily, Charlie, I'm disappointed that Juan Agudelo is not getting a look. Are a shot in this mm-hmm. team. I, I think he's a game changer off the bench, especially uh, if you don't, even if you don't want to start him. Um, while I understand Chris Wondolowski, I know a lot of people rail like, <laughs> about Chris Wondolowski's inclusion. This is this is the swan song. I mean, I don't expect Wando to be featuring very heavily. Maybe maybe in a couple of qualifiers next year, but he's not <laughs> going to be in Russia in 2018. But he is still effective. His movement is still among the best. Of uh, uh, the American forward pool, and he he still impresses Klinsman with his work rate.
3: Yeah, he's someone I think, and, and Brad Davis falls into this category too. He's uh, he's worked his way into the system. He does what he's told. He's a great team guy, you know, locker room guy. Jurgen wants to; it, it, those guys make Jurgen's job easier, right? Because they're they're uh, they're going to do everything that's asked of them. They're not going to complain about not playing. For fans whose main memory of him is the is the World Cup miss. Uh, it's baffling, but when you look at at what Wando did to to force his way into the system a couple of years ago, to get into the picture, and then to continue to to do what you're going to ask from him, you, you know, coaches coaches are looking at so much more than we're seeing on the field of play in those 90-minute matches, whether they're friendlies or competitive matches. They're seeing the training environment, and they're they're talking to the coaches. So, uh, it's certainly not a sexy choice, uh, but it's it, it's a situation where I think he again he feels he's got a known quantity
1: there. Uh, last thing, Jose, uh, thoughts on, on Jordan Morris. So I never expected to be in this team, Charlie, but was on the provisional roster, and we, we've obviously seen him impress when he's been called up to the senior level.
3: Yeah, this is a strange one to me because he's 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 made him a workhorse effectively. I mean, Morris is pulling uh, pulling almost double duty, really, with the U23s and the senior team over the last couple months. I think he's definitely going to be a, a leading figure in Olympic qualifying. And he's on a college schedule right now. I mean, whatever re, you know, you feel about his deservedness for playing time in the Gold Cup, he's on a college schedule. Which means if he's not called in the national team, he's working on his own or he's doing small group work with his uh, with his college teammates in an informal environment. I'm I'm sure Jurgen is doing everything he can to set him up with additional opportunities. But given that you know Jurgen, like most coaches, is a bit of a control freak, and he wants guys in his environment whenever possible, especially guys like that. Why, why not take him along on the Gold Cup experience? Why not bring him around for the, gold, for the, the group stage and then, and then send him home afterwards and, yeah. and maybe bring in a veteran? I, I actually thought it, the roles would be reversed with him and Wando, but I, I don't rule it out that he'll, he'll call up Morris with one of those six additional picks for the yeah. knockouts.
1: Very possible. Charles Bohm from MLSsoccer.com, Soccer Wire, uh, USsoccerplayers.com. Follow him on Twitter, CBOEHM. Always fun to talk to you, Charlie. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll, uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon. Thanks, Jason. A pleasure. There goes uh, Charlie Baum. Good stuff from him. When we come back, we will get into the situation up in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Did my invitations
3: disappear?
1: The best way to watch Copa America and the greatest players in the world, including Leo Messi, Neymar, James Rodriguez, and Alexis Sanchez, is on Sling International's exclusive broadcast of Copa America on BN Sport. Sling TV is the number one live international TV service in the United States. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch every single Copa America game live or on demand, featuring Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Uruguay, and more. Plus, Sling International gives you access to Barca TV, Real Madrid TV, the New York Cosmos, Syria, and more top networks offered by Sling TV. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Sling International. Sign up today at www.sling.com slash soccer. Again, that's sling.com slash soccer. This Friday, the USA faces China in the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup, and I'd like to invite you to join me for a very special audio broadcast that I'll be hosting on Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on television, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. You can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Plus, I'll be talking you through the game as we watch the U.S. play China in a repeat of that epic 1999 Women's World Cup final. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble.tv app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app on Friday. Does the USA have what it takes to make it to the semifinals of the Women's World Cup? Find out this Friday, June 26th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern, and cheer on the red, white, and blue with me on Rabble.tv.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: We turn now to MLS Topics. Uh, big game tonight in Philadelphia, as a matter of fact. Philadelphia <laughs> Union hosting the Seattle Sounders. And we, We'll get to that game. Uh, but first, to talk about the situation, the general situation in Philadelphia surrounding the Union, Kevin Kincaid joins us now. Regular guest on the show, Kevin Kincaid's Twitter handle is... It, I had it right in front of me, Kevin. What is it?
4: Uh, at Kevin K, CBS three. There
1: you go. I knew I, geez, <laughs> I knew the CBS three part. Kevin obviously works for CBS up in Philadelphia. Obviously, and also writes. I'm sorry at the uh, Philly soccer page. Kevin, you, you had a, a provocative. I'm sorry that that's the word. That's the only appropriate word. Provocative tweet yesterday in which you said that the Philadelphia Union uh, financial situation is not good. I'm I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me uh tell me what it said and tell me what you meant
4: yeah you know maybe i should have uh clarified that i guess on the uh on the on the the internet but uh you know here we are you know here's the opportunity to do that no you know what it's just they they have sort of a continual um you know continual issues with with the player budget and moving players and bringing them back and whatnot and this was sort of spurred by um you know, the Fernando Aristigueta thing where we, we had sort of wondered, there had been some reports that came out of France, I guess, a week or two ago that said that his loan was only for half a season and they were going to have to make a decision now whether they wanted to sign him or not. Um, and we, so that was sort of lumped in together with the Rice and Bully thing and the Steven Vittoria loan, um, other player movement kind of things that all needed to sort of be decided at the same time. Um it was interesting to me that there was even a the consideration that there was a half a season loan because I was under the impression that MLS didn't want to do these anymore. But basically from everything that I've heard and other reporters have heard off the you know, off the record and behind the scenes and stuff like that, that they've got to move Rice and bully to free up any money before they can do anything. Um and Fernando Aristida, you know, they have to determine purchase price, are they going to extend the loan, do they even have the money to do that? You know, they have a couple guys who are out on loan right now who aren't eating up any salary right now. They had to do, you know, the two loan deals at the beginning of the year. So they just don't have any money, you know, to move anybody or to sign anybody. Every, every play incoming player has to be complimented with an outgoing player. You know, it's the same with the Carlos Valdez thing. At the beginning of the year, where they couldn't bring in Steven Vittorio on loan until they had cleared Valdez out of Nacional. So,
5: Wait. you
4: know, I don't really know what the what the heck is going on with the player budget right now, but they just don't have any wiggle room to do anything.
1: Aristi has been. Am I wrong in saying he's been the best player for the Union this thus far in the season? I mean, maybe the most consistent player when he's been on the field, whereas there's been a lot of problems uh, otherwise. <laughs>
2: Well, I'd say C.J. Sapong has sort okay. of overtaken okay.
1: him. Well, yeah, sure, um, but but C.J. had to turn it on to get to the point where you would say that he's overtaken. I guess he, uh, maybe maybe, and this, certainly the beginning of the season, Fernando was the better player. So we'll just yeah. leave, we'll just leave that there. But when you say something to me like they had a half season loan and now they have to make who does that? I mean, I understand why MLS wouldn't want to do that, Kevin. It's dumb because now you are at yeah. that point where you have to make a decision, you have to have the money freed up to, to sign him. Otherwise, you look, especially if he plays well. If he plays well, it's like, oh, great, we got this guy, and now you got to send him away because you don't have the cash, and the fans are just going to start pulling their hair out. I'm sorry, well, they, they've already also, done
4: that. It's also difficult to determine, too. I mean, have we even really seen enough of him to know whether he's worth keeping around permanently or okay, not? And he's been enough. injured on and off you know, yeah. for most of a year, so I don't even know how many starts he has, like five or six or seven or something. And he had the three goals at the beginning of the year, but... I mean it's such a small sample size really and you talk about these new foreign players when they come into the league how you know how long some of them take to get adjusted you know Tim Cahill wasn't bagging in goals during the first 6 months that he played here you know so New York could have said hey you know maybe he's not worth it and got rid of him but we all saw what happened the next year he was the leading goal scorer on a supporter shield winning team um so I don't I, don't, I really have no idea I know that they really really like him and he's got good he's got a great attitude he says the right things You know, he speaks good English. He seems to have that Philadelphia mentality where he's going to work hard and bang and, you know, be physical. That's probably why he's been injured the whole time because he's not getting a lot of calls and whatever. But, you know, and you have to go back to to how hard they worked to get this guy here in the first place. You know, Arista was interested in coming to Philadelphia way back in the winter. And, you know, he'd sort of come to some kind of agreement with them verbally. But Hatafe came in the picture, and he said, "Hey, look, you know, I've I've always wanted to play in La Liga. You know, I speak the language. I mean, it's a great opportunity." So this loan deal with Hatafe was was formed, and then that fell apart for financial reasons. And the union only got him on a second try. Yeah. So the the fact that they tried so hard to get him, and they were so interested in this guy, and they had to jump through hoops to do it. It seems really ironic to me that we're talking about the fact that he could be gone after six months.
1: Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's let's go to the general situation because uh, again, you put this tweet out. there. Does that tweet still exist? You haven't taken it back, have you?
4: Yeah. Look. Let me hear. Let me say one thing about that. <laughs> oh no. It, you know they're they're putting a, they're, they're putting a lot of money. They'll they'll probably tell you the ownership group will say, hey, we're putting a lot of money into the academy and youth development and yeah. and, and, and whatnot. Right? Yeah. That a lot of that money is coming from a secondary owner, Richie Graham. Um, who owns YSC sports out in King of Prussia, and he's done a lot of that with the academy and with the school. Yeah, that's a co-branded situation,
1: right? That's a co-branded situation with YSC.
4: Right, right. So it's kind of, it's a little bit misleading because that does come under the umbrella of Keystone Sports and Entertainment because he is a part owner along with Nick Sikiewicz and Jay Sugarman, but again, most of the liquid, most of the money that's gone into that has come from his pocket, so it's sort of misleading to say that, well, Keystone Sports Entertainment is putting millions and millions of dollars into youth development when most of that is coming from Richie Graham and that was his land and his property in the first place, right?
1: Right, exactly. That's gonna that brings me back to that general situation. I mean, look, that's good. That's that's fine. It's that's all great. But as you said, it's sort of it's sort of a distinct part of of what the union are doing in terms of the general money that they're spending, especially at the senior level, especially to be as as solid a professional organization as they can possibly be. I mean, I, I it's been, it it hasn't been that long since we had players outwardly grousing about the training ground situation for the union right, um you right. know whether or not they've taken steps forward steps forward I'll admit that I I'm not aware of uh, of of the uh, of whether they have or have not but certainly that feeds into this notion that the union are just and maybe it's not even of their own making but a cheap franchise right now you know, it is
4: what it is, Jason. I mean, it goes all the way back to Jay Sugarman, you know, an I-Star Financial, you know, was healthy in 2007, 2008 when the team was awarded and then the stock market crashed. You know, and then the housing market, you know, collapsed, and that was where 99% of the team's money was with the majority owner. So, you know, that's that's never really been the same ever since then. You know, and you say, why can't they bring in other investors to, to help with that? Why can't they do this? I have no clue. You know, again, Philadelphia is probably going to be the last team that has, a you know, its own... USL, um, you know, it's Union two or whatever you want to call it. I mean the partnership with Harrisburg is a mess. Harrisburg doesn't know if they're gonna stay there, if they're gonna move, or are they gonna get a new stadium? The the union are loaning players over there that aren't even playing. You know, the the fields, the practice fields that they got this year are a long time coming and they're nice, but basically they had to cut their parking lot in half to put two grass fields there with the fence surrounding it. There's not even a net. You know, around the fence to to keep balls from from going into the parking lot or going into the river. You know, so everything that they've done there is just sort of, you know, oh. a, a, the 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 smallest amount that they can do to make these things happen. They just they just don't have the money to to complete any of these things, and that's exemplified, I think, on the player side by having to release players before they can sign players. They can't waive anybody because they can't pay out guaranteed contracts, so right. they're just sort of stuck with what they have.
1: You know, Kevin, I I, I don't want to laugh, even though I do want to laugh, because. You know, look, I, I have nothing against Philadelphia. I have nothing against the union. Yeah. I respect the hell out of what the, the sons of Ben did there and, and the fan base and how committed they are. And, and I know there's some players who have, uh, uh, you know, bled and sweated for that team over the, over the last couple of years. And, and I, I guess I might be okay with laughing if this was a, if this was a situation where I was completely a, assured that this wasn't going to go down the tubes into real, I, I don't know. I mean, is it is it hyperbolic to say that if they don't get some investment, if they don't figure out some of the money situation, they're just going to become irrelevant? And then who knows what will happen? I mean, look, that stadium's there; it's not going anywhere. They're they're at least solid on that front. Although I don't know what the relationship is with the city of Chester right now. Um, mm-hmm. But but is it hyperbolic to say that this could potentially spiral to the point where the Philadelphia Union have zero momentum in Philadelphia?
4: Yeah, I'd say that they have pretty much zero momentum oh, already now. as it is. I right think now. the things okay. that are keeping keeping them afloat are, you know, they have this great fan base that continues to come down in this great stadium that has a great view and, and a great atmosphere, even though it's in Chester and there's nothing else that's built around there. I mean, surely it could go that way. They're already, they're already a couple of years, you know, behind the eight ball here. They haven't been competitive for a while now. And they're putting out teams that have, you know, some talent. There's some decent players on there. But... You know they're not going to compete with the Toronto's and the New York Cities and the Seattle's and the Los Angeles's of the world. You know, I mean, you're just not going to be able to compete that way. Even if you play the perfect game of Moneyball, and if you know, listen, maybe Moneyball is just another way of saying you're being cheap. But even if they they do it to perfection, I mean, Jason, look, this is a, this is a team that the owner, the majority owner, came down and spoke to the media for the first time in five years, and he did that seven months ago, and they said what we're going to do is we're going to sign a sporting director. That was seven months ago, and there's yeah. been no movement on that. They yeah. hired Renee Muhlenstein as a consultant, who then just disappeared after six months and took the money with him, and they really got nothing out of it. So th- this is a team that has the smallest technical staff in the league, doesn't have a general manager, has never had a general manager, and they're just operating on the cheap because they just don't have anything.
1: I'm looking at a piece over at Philly Soccer page, phillysoccerpage.net, written by Dan Walsh, uh, yeah. that outlines some. of, the, it's, it's titled The Union of the Worst Team in MLS. Uh, he says that he gives the reasons why, including current points per game, goal differential. Uh, uh, those things are, are right there. Uh, he's got some, some, how do you fix this team? Number one, hire a general manager. You just spoke to that. Number two, stop making yep. bad big name signings. I think that's easier said than done sometimes, but certainly you can be smart about, smarter about your big name signings. Start making good personnel decisions again. That requires somebody who's smart to make those personnel decisions. Make a rule to find good starters for all, all 11 positions, okay? Uh, fix the union's <laughs> USL pro connection. The union led the way on this five years ago, have now fallen behind most of the league. And you mentioned that, the situation uh, with Harrisburg. So what step one is the general manager. is, And, and as you said, seven months uh, this process has been going on. Is this a matter of lack of initiative? Is this a matter of Sikiewicz and the the, the amount of control he exerts and not wanting to give I mean, because, again, we go back to... This the beginning of the season. The the Emboli uh, debacle. The the discussion over whether or not that was Sukovic who pulled the trigger on those things. And it, while everybody says it was, he denies it. You know what, uh, Nick? It would be a lot better if you had a, a layer between yourself and the team with pre- player personnel, and that way people would, wouldn't go just to you to blame you for these things.
4: Yeah. Look, and I mean, I, I don't. I don't. We had always been told that Rene Muhlenstein was making a good amount of money uh you, you know, and I think that there were discussions on whether he would continue, so he would sort of take a full-time role and become the sporting director, become the general manager. Uh, you know, I, all of that information is very vague to me. It's hard to get anybody to speak on that. You know, my impression is that he just didn't want to, he saw what was going on here and he didn't want to be a part of that. Um You know, Nick it, it, Nick's strength has always been, you know, business, the business side of things. He's a good businessman. I mean, he got this franchise off the ground. You know, he got it started. He put together the investor group and got the stadium built. Um, you know, but this team needs, you know, a general manager to to make roster moves and help with with you know scouting and putting these things in, in place. I mean, you have Chris Albright is basically doing all of this by himself. You know, Jim Curtin, who's supposed to be coaching the first team, you know, he's doing it you know alongside alongside with them. And even when John Hackworth was here, Rob Vartusian, who's with New York City now. You know, Rob Bartuzi was the technical director, the assistant coach, and the goalkeeping coach at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and and it just doesn't, you know, when you spread people too thin like that, they can't do any of their jobs, you know, to the to the full capacity. You know, Chester's a difficult situation. I get it. I mean, like, how how what kind of investor are you going to get to come down there and spend money down there? You know, we all went to the Sons of Ben movie, the Sons of Ben screening. They did a premiere a week or two, week or two ago, and they talked about how all this state money, you know, from Gunther Rendell and all these people, they were going to build, you know, a you know, shopping district and they were going to build a hotel and a, and a conference center and all this craps around in the stadium. And all of that was obviously cut from the final funding, you know, and then when the political climate in Chester changed, the tax situation changed and the election in 2011. But, you know, I mean, that is what it is. I mean, you knew that you were going to, you know, you were going to, you know, fight these, these kind of battles. So, you know, they got to start, start right now with a general manager and just figuring out what the money situation here is here because they're going to keep, falling further and further behind, and right now they're dead last in the league. So I'm not. I'm not sure how much further they can fall.
1: I want it to get better because I think Philadelphia sports fans are the best when their teams are winning. They're not the best when their teams aren't winning. But this, these, <laughs> these fans have shown a commitment, Kevin, that I that I definitely respect. And uh, I you know I hope it. I hope it turns around, and I, and I hope they figure out again. You know, this is a league where they have no problem attracting people willing to get together and write checks for hundred million dollars for new teams. All over the country, and here yeah. here's an an established team with a beautiful stadium. Yes, in a, in a difficult location, but it's a beautiful stadium with an amazing view, and there's there's so much potential there. You would hope hope that somebody would step up and say, you know what, I got a couple million bucks to burn. Why don't we make a go of this thing?
4: Because you know you, what the ironic you, you know that, the ironic thing about it was, Jason, is that uh, you know. Four or five weeks ago, the Sons of Ben had a protest outside the stadium where they carried a, a coffin that had Nick Sikiewicz's name written on it or like an effigy of him or a picture of him inside of it, and they put flares in there and did this whole kind of thing. And then, you know, shortly after that was the release of the Sons of Ben movie that was celebrating, you know, the creation of the team and all the hard work that those guys put into to, to bringing the team here in the first place. And it was such a juxtaposition for me to see the current state of the team where it is now. And what it was just a short time ago. So it was just sort of a, a sort of ar- ironic, sardonic kind of, kind of feeling to the whole thing when we were sitting there in the movie theater saying, man, this is such a great story. But the current situation is just terrible, you know? Um, you know, the sons have been taking it to the point now where they're protesting outside the stadium, but not doing it inside the stadium out of respect for the, for the team and for the, and for the coaching staff. And to me, that just said it all that, you know, we're only, we're not even five, six years into this thing and people are protesting that, Pretty much everything, you know. And Jay sugarman has got to be more visible. He's got to come down to Philadelphia. He's there for the games, but he doesn't talk. He's an absentee owner. Whether he says, whether he, even if, even though he says he's not, he is an absentee owner, and he has to swear these, this away and say, "This is what the money situation is. This is what Nick Sikavich is doing. This is what Jim Curtin's doing." And tell the fans because they did it seven months ago, and nothing has changed since that press conference.
1: Uh, Kevin Kincaid, Kevin K, CBS three on Twitter. Go follow him uh, for updates on the Philadelphia Union and solid coverage of soccer uh in philadelphia kevin i appreciate it it's a difficult situation in philly and uh yeah like i said i hope they get it turned around appreciate the time man
5: all right man
4: only one direction to go i'll see you
1: absolutely there you go let's take a break we'll come back we'll open up the phone lines we'll talk to you big mls night tonight don't go anywhere be right back soccer morning worldsoccertalk.com
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: Here we are back on Soccer Morning on a Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. Hope everything's going well for you this week. It's all downhill from here, but we have a big midweek lineup of games to keep you, to tide you over, to get you through the middle of the week and into the end of the week and into your weekend, which is going to be great because you don't have to work if you have a regular old job like, like most of us do. Tonight's game in ML- tonight's games in MLS, excuse me, lots of them. There's seven of them, seven MLS games tonight. I have no idea if I'm going to be able to watch any of them in any real dedicated fashion, because I imagine I will try to pull the old triple screening it thing, double screening it. Because Philly, Seattle at seven, New York RSL at seven thirty, Columbus, New England seven thirty, Orlando and Columbus, I'm sorry, Colorado at seven thirty, Toronto, Montreal, big. 401 Derby. I didn't know it was called that, by the way, until yesterday. The 401 Derby uh, at eight o'clock, Chicago and DC at eight thirty, and then LA Portland at eleven. Which means if you're going to be committed to that game, if you start watching that game, you got to finish it. And if you're going to commit to that game and you live at where all the people live here on the East Coast, that means you're up until one o'clock in the morning. And damn it, I need some sleep. I'm sorry, I need some sleep. Damn it. It's been it's been uh, it's been crazy. I mean, I don't know if you can see like how if you if you watch the video stream, you could probably like compare images of me and see like how much deeper my eyes seem to have sunken into my head for like the last two weeks. And It's, it's fine because I love soccer and I love the work and I love talking to you people. But I do need sleep at some point. We've also got Copa America tonight. Chile and Uruguay. That goes off. What time is that game, Trevor? You're the you're our Copa America expert in house, right? He, Trevor told me this today. MLS is the bottom of his totem pole right now. Doesn't give a crap about MLS. He cares about other things. <laughs> I don't really blame him. I mean, the the Women's World Cup is dominating. Then you got again, Ch- okay, Chile, Chile and Uruguay's on at 7:30. Good lord, soccer world! One, two, three four, five games that I could potentially enjoy watching all happening at the same time. Really? What are you doing to me? This is not cool. By the way, there's this this thing going on on Twitter. It has to do with New York. It has to do with the the Hudson River Derby coming up on the weekend. And it's something to do with Red Bull Red and city blue, and what, the Empire State Building? Is that what it is? So we have, I have two people here, our our boy D-Roy Jenkins, thank you D-Roy, and Riverbank Blue, suggesting that people hashtag, share the hashtag, retweet the hashtag, win NYCFC to turn the Empire State Building blue. And then I see that our boy Mark Fishkin from Seeing Red is tweeting the opposite thing, which is when, is it when RBNY or when NYRB? I can't, when RBNY, NY is red also. I guess that's to cover his bases because there seems to be some confusion. What color do we want the Empire State Building? If we get like exactly the same number of votes for each hashtag, does it end up like some weird purple color? Because that would be kind of cool. Phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. I think they're open. Call in. Let's talk MLS. Let's talk about this lineup. Chad on Twitter, sleep is for the weak. Sleep is not for the weak. Sleep is for people who want to live a healthy life, Chad. Sleep is for people who don't want to die at the age of 45 from heart failure. That's what, That's who sleep is for. And I'm already struggling on the sleep front. I already suck at getting sleep. I can't sacrifice, like, extra hours. Give me a break, man. Philly's cheapness is costing them money they don't have. Fill the front office properly. That, look, there's definitely an argument that if you don't spend the money to flesh out your staff correctly, if you don't have a fully staffed club, you will suffer and then lose money. That's a good argument, Chad there you can you can imagine yourself oh we'll skimp on the labor yeah we'll 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 have people pulling triple duty that'll save us some money except they can't do any of those jobs to the top of their ability so now this team suffers and now the performance on the field is bad and now nobody's showing up and now you're losing lots of money absolutely a knock-on effect to all of that chad you're 100% correct and you would expect Philadelphia to figure it out. Let's go to Al. Al in Springfield. Springfield what? Springfield Simpson Springfield? Missouri. Missouri. There's Missouri. a lot of Springfields, yeah. Al. Okay. So uh, what's on your yeah, mind? Today? So-
0: <laughs> well my mind is on the US um the Gold Cup team and I was surprised that Juan Agadel didn't get picked along with Danny Williams.
3: Because okay.
0: I thought I thought the addition of um Agadel would have been would have been better coming off the bench
1: he He's, and, that's what I, that's what I said to Charlie. He definitely seems like to me a, a weapon you would want in the last 15 minutes of a game.
0: Yes, he is. He seems like it would be a really good weapon that can come off, fresh off of this and make a huge impact on the team immediately. And, everything. and also, you know, I feel, I feel for the fans from Philadelphia. I lived in Philadelphia. You know, it seems like the, um Union, there are mirror images of the of the of the 76ers. They're no different than that team. Yeah, seems like every year they're you're losing. Um, you're losing so they can get a lottery pick and everything but, else. But, so but don't you if this, don't if the owners taking the same, same cue as the um the seventy six? Maybe,
1: maybe. But don't you feel as though the 76ers at least have some idea of what their plan is, even if it's not the best plan? They have a plan. No, they, no, you don't think so? Okay, I, I'm not. A, I'm not I don't an NBA think guy. So.
0: I think they're mirror images of each other because you know they've done this for the last five years and everything else. They still get these top pick players, but then they got to go ahead and trade them and everything else, When yeah. their salary goes up. They traded um, one of their first round. Pick. I'm, not, I'm not Evan Turner or something like that. I'm, yeah, but,
1: I'm um, not worried about that. I'm not worried about the, I'm not worried about about the Sixers. The <laughs> but but they're
0: mirror but they're. But when I look at the union situation. They're similar. I mean, the union in the '76s. They're very much alike. They're very much alike.
1: I, I tend to agree. I appreciate the phone call. I'm going to move on. A bunch of people calling in, calling in here on a Wednesday. Let's go to uh, Roberto in, in Connecticut. He wants to talk Gold Cup as well. What's up, Roberto?
5: Hey, what's up, Jake? You know, I have to agree with Trevor on that, saying that that is the most important match of the day: um, Chile versus Uruguay. No, I don't think Trevor no, said that. I, I
1: don't think he said that. I just asked him because I, he did tell me MLS was not on his radar. He didn't realize there were seven games tonight, which I don't think a lot of people are realizing that there are seven games tonight. But Chile, Uruguay is definitely a big game. I will have to pull that up. I got, I got my streaming service set up for Copa America. I'm, I'm paying for that myself because I wanted to be able to see that tournament. Now And I got MLS live, so I'm going to have to figure it out. Like, I'm going to have to really work my angles here. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially since it coincides with the um, LA match afterwards. Um What do you got to
1: win the uh, match tonight? The Chile Uruguay match? Well, is Cavani going to play? Yeah. yeah. He is going to play? Yeah, so okay. i Okay, well, if, if Cavani... I mean, not that Cavani's been stellar, but if Cavani plays that, that, that does better than if he doesn't, I got Chile, though. I mean, they're at home. They they seem to have moved past the whole Vidal thing for the most part. Um, there's a lot of momentum there. Alexi Sanchez is fantastic. I know Uruguay is going to going to going to kick them, going to knock them over, and try everything they can do. But I, I think with the uh, with the energy that'll be in the building, I think Chile will be fine, and I think they win. It's a fun fact that
5: you probably might have not known. Um, Uruguay have knocked
1: out the host in the last two Copa Americas. Well that is hey, let's see if they can make it a, a, a trifecta here, Roberto. You got Gold Cup thoughts as well?
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think like the roster and um it seems interesting, but do you feel that possibly this is a swan song for Chris Wondolowski and
1: Brad uh, at, um Davis? Brad Davis, Brad Evans, Chris Wandelowski, I I think so. Um Davis is He's a you know we we've seen him be used before as a le- late substitution. We know he hits an amazing f- uh, free kick. Uh he he provides fantastic service from the left side. So I see why you bring him. He serves a, a strategic strategic purpose and again, he works hard and Klinsman knows him and and trusts him. One last again this, what I outlined with um uh with Charlie is is the facts. I mean, he is his movement is still is still fantastic. He he certainly good enough to score goals against most of that Gold Cup competition up until you face Costa Rica or Mexico. Maybe Honduras, you want to throw them in. Maybe Panama, if you want not throw them in. But he's good enough to score goals in this tournament. There's no doubt about that. And he's not going to start for you, and he is an option. Uh, when, you know if, if you're wondering, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it. One, Aguadelo off the bench is great because he can create his own shot, and he's tricky enough to, to provide um, you know an extra element to your attack. But Chris Wanelaski gets down the end of stuff that nobody else can get on the end of. He just has to put him away. So I do think it's his last go round before he uh before he exits the stage. And, and maybe that's part of the reason Clemson brought him in, because he knows this is the last time he can use him. Yeah, yeah,
5: absolutely. Absolutely. Um do you think that Giasi Zardis might be the breakout star for the United States? Uh, he's been, the he, Copa, how Copa?
1: how good has Jossy Zardis been? He's been fantastic. I I love the I love watching the kid play, and I love the how it, how How much he's learned over the past two or three years—you can see it. You can—we don't get this a lot. Sometimes players take a a slow path to being effective, and it it takes time. And sometimes they burst on the scene, like a a player. Like, I mean, you know, he's a little bit older. He's—I think he might even be older than than Zardes at this point. But Harry Ship kind of burst onto the scene in MLS. Obviously, a a fantastically skilled player, but then he kind of hits a wall, and he comes. Jassy's art as you can see it's not it's not a straight line upwards it's not a it's not a completely straight trend but it's straight enough that you can you can identify the improvement in his game the smart runs the smart passing the better hold up play his first touch is getting better i i, I love watching jossie's artist playing. yeah i think he will be the breakout star yeah yeah
5: absolutely it's gonna be interesting to see him play um just one last thing on um, jason um so the signing of Roberto Firmino from Liverpool, do you feel that he could be the um, correct replacement for Raheem Sterling if he leaves
1: Liverpool? Uh, you know, I've seen some of that. I've seen. I haven't seen a whole lot of Firmino, so I can't really comment on. I mean, I saw him in the Gold Cup or in the Gold Cup prep. I didn't even see him in the Gold Cup. Um, you know, I, I know he's a nice player. I, I guess. I guess you're covering, but I mean, it's it's probably just smart business on Liverpool's part to bring in a, a, a talented player. It's just a matter of whether or not he adjusts uh, to to Liverpool and to England and. And, and, you know, this isn't an easy, it's not an easy thing to adjust to the Premier League. I know he's been successful in, in Germany. That's uh, that's a leg up over buying a Brazilian straight out of Brazil. So, we'll see. <laughs>
5: yeah, well, he has Coutinho. He has
1: Coutinho on the field, so yeah, I think he's good.
5: Yeah. Um, that's true, he
1: does. Thanks, Roberto. I appreciate the call, man. Let's uh, go to uh, Claudio in Texas. What's up, Claudio?
2: Hey, Jason. How are you doing this
1: morning? I'm, I'm good, man. I'm fired up. What's going on?
2: So, you've been talking about the, uh, MLS Rivalry Week, which obviously, invariably, my mind went towards, you know, college football's mm-hmm. rivalry week that they have in November. And that made me think, um, why not for the U.S. Open Cup to bring more attention, you know, start involving college soccer teams and how we can get them to join, get into the Open Cup. Since, I mean, I don't know about other listeners of yours, but I follow my university in almost everything you do. I mean, I normally don't watch swimming, but I'll watch Olympic <laughs> swimming because there's student athletes sure. swimming in there. Sure. From <laughs> my yeah. like university. So I'll watch it for them.
1: I have never once so, heard anybody suggest that college soccer teams partake in the, uh, or take, take part in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, part of that is, to be honest with you, I think, Claudio, because of the timing of the tournament, because it's a, a summer thing, uh, that leads into the fall. What you end up with is college players who are, Having having left school and left uh, you know for the summer, are playing with PDL teams and MPSL teams, and they're participating in the U.S. Open Cup. So, I, and I don't know if there there probably is some rule against scholastic teams being involved in the tournament on some level. I don't. I, I'd have to go look at the the laws and the rules, but that seems like a weird mix to me. I I I don't want to say it's a dumb idea because I don't think it is. I just don't know if it's possible. Oh, That's
2: a real shame, though. Because I mean, they would, I think it would bring so much more attention to the earlier rounds, since you know everybody knows, you know, North Carolina, uh, you know, Louisville. Yeah, those for, those that's that's the teams are not well known.
1: Yeah, you are. you're hitting at at the heart of the of the problem for the U.S. Open Cup in the early rounds. Nobody knows who these teams are. They've never heard of the Western Utah Flash or whatever they're called. You know that that's not a thing that that anybody's identified with. It's not an established name. It's not. There's no history attached to it. Um, the 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 great thing about college sports is not only does the individual team, as a, say a soccer team at North Carolina, have their history, but they're tied into the athletic history of the university as a whole, and certainly the reputation of the school and and the the millions of alumni. So I, I get where you're going with it. I, I I guess we should be clear about why it's not possible because I, I that's my gut, but I don't know for sure. We should ask somebody is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I also have a feeling that because their rules are so different, I don't think they're under the US Soccer umbrella anyway since you know they have the the regressive clock instead of the progressive yeah, clock. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know and and Juan here on Twitter is reminding me that the BYU actually does play in the PDL and they have participated in the US Open Cup. The BYU Cougars have a a team that they enter in the Premier Development League. I I guess that's an aberration. That's not an usual that's that's, a, that's not a usual thing. So they're the only team I'm aware of with a college name attached who participates in the U.S. Open Cup?
2: Well, maybe if, uh, you know, college football falls apart or the NCAA falls apart, you know, maybe they get their
1: teams <laughs> to join there you go. the PDF. <laughs> there you go. Claudio, I appreciate the call, man. Uh, thanks, Jason. There goes uh, Claudio. Let's uh, wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much to Charlie Bohm, C B O E H M, on Twitter. Go follow him and Kevin Kincaid from up in Philadelphia. Kevin CBS 3 is his handle. You should be following him as well. Make sure you go to backheel.com. Is it backheel, Backheel.com slash store. Buy one of these things. Soccer morning mug. It's very pretty. Got the soccer morning logo. See if you guys don't know, it's a sun with a with a ball that I mean the, the sun looks like a ball. It's amazing. It's amazing. 3 FC.com to buy a t-shirt. Hit us up on iTunes, give us a rating and a review. And uh, hit me on Twitter, DavisJSN. See ya.